We're going to start with um, reading together Psalm 1. I was, we decided not to do a scripture reading because I, I did, didn't know a good one. I'm sitting there going, it's on the first page, and it's a perfect one. Some of you memorized this as a kid, but Psalm 1, and it goes like this. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate when? Day and night. He meditates on it day and night. He's putting it in his brain day and night. And it goes on to describe that he's like this tree planted by the rivers of water. It brings forth its fruit and season. Its leaf will not wither. Whatsoever it does to prosper, the ungodly are not so. They're like chaff which the wind driveth away. So it's like there's a difference but it's not a natural difference. It's not like you grow up and you just happen to be this way. You grow up and you happen to be this way. There are things you do that make you this way. And what we've been looking at the last few Sunday nights um, is, is this tendency, even among seasoned Christians, to become apathetic. We get lethargic about our Christian life. That pursuit is no longer a hot pursuit. That desire to become a deeper, seasoned Christian, we lose it. And suddenly those things that we know that we do to help us mature and grow are things we just don't want to do anymore. We find ourselves easily distracted, and we've called it apathy. And so we've looked at the causes of apathy, and there's been several of them tonight. I want to look at a couple more. And, and I don't want this to sound negative. I know it's going to be sound like I'm getting on to you. Uh, and a lot of people will say that sometimes. My tone sounds like that. I'm just describing one of the most common causes of apathy among Christian people, and that is a lack of discipline. We just fail to make those things that are so essential for a vibrant Christian life any kind of a priority in our lives anymore. We know we should. We intend to. It's something that on our minds, we have it in there. I need to be doing this, but for some reason... We're easily distracted. It's almost like I want a distraction because this is too much work. I don't want to do this. I want to do something else. We don't invest, it, uh, invest in it with the right time and, uh, and, and effort necessary. And we know that everybody's busy. And everyone, but we also know that while everybody's busy, you find time for the stuff you really want to do. People will say sometimes, this is really important to me, but then they never get around to actually making time for it. And it kind of betrays the fact that while you wish that was important to you, that is not really a functional value in your life. The proof <clears throat> is in the time and in the calendar. You write down and you make time for what you consider priority. <clears throat> Excuse me, and it's just what we do. If you value video games, you have no trouble finding that 2.5 hours a day to play video games. And in fact, you could easily do it longer. You could easily do it more. You love it and it's never enough. And actually, watching TV for the average American, they'll say, no, I don't watch that much. But if they actually kept track of it, the average American watches that much TV too. But isn't it uncanny how that you can be watching your favorite binge program and you can watch it for four hours and it goes like that, but the effort it takes to do 30 minutes of prayer and Bible study is like, I cannot make myself? Isn't that weird? 
A 30-minute sitcom goes so much faster than a 30-minute sermon, doesn't it? And you're like, 30-minute sermon? We haven't had one of those in three years. I know, I know, I know. But, it's, but still, it's just like, it's, why, why is that? Does that not kind of show where our, our heart is? Here's the equation one author put on. Loads of screen time plus little time for spiritual disciplines equals meh. You know, that's, you know that sound, right? You know that symbol. Meh. I really don't care. I'm kind of indifferent. That's called lethargy or apathy. In essence, this is a lack of discipline. And here's what, here's a, it's a nice, that's a, <clears throat> that's a more sophisticated way, I think, of saying lazy. Lack of discipline is lazy. Now, we just can't, here's, here's how I would describe it. This is the homemade way of describing it. Homecrafted definition, you ready? Just can't make ourselves do what we know we should do because we'd rather do what we want to do and what we should do is not what we want to do. Is that about right? You think that's true? Or, or, or let me make it a little easier. Here's a definition. Making me, this is what self-discipline is. Making what I should do what I actually do. That's self-discipline. I know I should do this. I know I should. It fits my values. It fits what I need to be doing. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to make myself do it anyway. That's called self-discipline. And ironically, here's the number one, here's the number one attacker of self-discipline. Cheap grace. Got to cover it if I don't do this. It's not really essential for salvation. I mean, God will cover me, right? Grace is going to cover my lack of self-discipline, right? I mean, if I don't get to it, God will still save me, right? That's right. That's cheap grace, and it, it hurts you spiritually. Or, or, or Here's another question I give you. Do you know what the last of the fruit of the Spirit is? The last one. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and... Okay, is it, how is it a spirit gift if it's self-control? If I'm practicing self-control, if I'm practicing Spencer control, how is that the spirit's fruit? Self and spirit don't seem to go together. Well, here's, here's I, 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 the only way I know how to explain this, it seems to me, at least in my head, is to go to Romans chapter 8. So, Romans chapter 8. For those who live... Those who live according to the flesh, you let the things of the world and the things that your body wants and any craving, any appetite you have, you just let it be the guiding factor for your life. Whatever my body wants, I'm going to give it. Whatever my spirit wants right now, whatever I'm in the mood for, whatever the world is. And usually it has something to do with the latest commercial you've watched, right? For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds. They're constantly thinking about stuff of the flesh so duh if that's what you're thinking about all the time that's what you're gonna do right makes sense okay so he goes on here's the corollary of that here's the opposite of that corollary here's the opposite of that. those who live according to the spirit their lives are spiritual they set their minds on things of the spirit this is no accidental thing 
A person doesn't become a Psalm 1 tree by the river just simply by coasting along. He's got to intentionally do something that makes him a tree by the river of water. There's something you do. You set your mind. There's lots of things on your mind. And in fact, the Holy Spirit uh, puts things on your mind. You are a spirit-led person when you're a Christian, so the Holy Spirit is in your mind putting certain thoughts into your head from the Word that you know you should be doing. And you know you feel this when you, when you say, well, I know I should pray more. I, I know I should study more. I know. You know what that is? The Spirit's telling you you're a spiritual person. I'm trying to make you more like Christ. And he's working in your life to do that. And he's sitting in your mind. But you're not setting your mind on it. Here's the question. Is this about what God's automatically going to do? Or do I have a responsibility according to this verse? Is there something I have to do? Or is it going to happen automatically? I wish it happened automatically. I wish it did, but it doesn't happen. You've got to do some mind setting. Now, the word setting is not the same as sitting. There's things that sit on your mind. There's all sorts of things, and you sit it on the edge, and you sit it on the side. But mindset means I've programmed my brain this way. This is what is this. The reason why I'm thinking this is I'm putting it in my brain, intentionally thinking it, and I'm setting this as my goal. I'm setting this as my priority in life. I'm setting this as something I want. Don't think that it's a miracle that this happens. I'm just waiting for God to give me a desire to love Him. Like I'm just waiting for him to give me the impetus to do this. No, no, you've got you've to do some brain setting. You've got to do some brain programming. There's some things you have to do. And when you're a person who spends a bulk of your time thinking of things that the world does, watching movies, nothing wrong with movies, but I'm saying that's all you do is watch that stuff and watch those videos, hear that music. You constantly got that stuff. You're setting your brain on earthly things. And so when earthly comes out of you, when earthy stuff comes out of you, why do you act surprised? You've programmed your brain that way. That's what Paul says. And the Spirit's trying to help you with this. But he can't make you do it. You ever notice that if you start slacking on your job, your boss will get in your face? When you start slacking in your marriage, eventually, your wife or your husband will get in your face. But when you slack on spiritual thoughts, God's not going to get in your face. The Spirit won't paralyze you. The Spirit won't make you do anything. He's going to keep reminding you, but He can't make you do anything. Unfortunately, I wish He could sometimes. He can't make you. This is a discipline. This is something that you have to have some part in. Um, it's just not really fun and automatic and easy to meditate on the things of God. It's not going to come naturally to you. You have to program your mind to want this. And it's, it's never settled. It's a continual programming thing. Why do you think it was that Jesus get up, gets up early in the morning, goes off to a quiet place to pray? He's got to. He's got to. He knows what his task is, and it's not going to happen automatically. He's got to do some things to position himself for it. We sing this with our kids all the time in nursery class. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible and pray every day, and you'll 
Does anybody know this? Grow, grow, grow. What comes first, growth or reading the Bible? And who's going to make you do that? That song is easy to sing with kids, but you know who the hardest, the most convicting thing is? That teacher. Do you do that at home? Read that Bible and pray every day. Here's, I think, my favorite song with this. I want you to pick up a songbook if you've got a songbook in front of you. It's that thing in the pew in front of you. Um, 731. Got this all written up in my, it's not sacred selections, songs of the church back at home because I love this and it's telling me something, but uh, especially the first and last verse. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. We don't sing, say words like that anymore, but there's not a song, a new song, that's anything like this good stuff right here. This is just the best stuff. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing his blessings to seek. Look at verse 3. Take time to be holy. Be calm in thy soul. Does that sound good to anybody in here, being calm in your soul? That can happen. Each thought and each motive beneath his control. Wouldn't you love every thought and every motive of your heart to be completely under the control of Christ? Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's a, that's a dream for every Christian, right? Be led by his spirit to fountains of love and be fitted for service above. All that sounds wonderful, and we all like the idea of it, but before any of that can happen, the first line has to be, and what's the first line? You must take time to be holy, and God's not going to do that. He's not going to paralyze you and make you be still. Who is going to make you take time to be holy? Okay, all together now, it's, it's, it's a word that starts with Y, ends with you, and oh my, in the middle, it's O. So who's going to make you take time to be holy? You are. And for some reason, as much as we like all those benefits that are promised, just can't make myself take that time. And I'm a preacher who gets paid for it. Take time to be holy. It's called discipline. And God's not going to sit you in time out and make you do it. But the Spirit is going to be working your life to do that. When we study Jesus very closely, what you're going to see is, I'll have this question every once in a while, especially in the Lord's Supper. God, how did you do it? How did he come down here and live that many years in the human flesh and never make a wrong decision? Never commit a wrong did he have advantages we don't have? And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced there must be some of that, but the same provisions that Jesus had, we have. It's not that he had provisions we don't, it's that he did them. He did them all the time. Here's the thing, the provisions that communicate grace to you, that's called grace. That's grace, and God gives us plenty of it. It's access to God and his strength. That's called grace. But to take advantage of those provisions is called discipline. So you've got grace being pumped into your life abundantly, abundantly, above all you can imagine or think. You've got a lot of provisions, access that God gives you to his extra grace to help you. But it takes discipline to tap into them. 
And a lot of times, we bypass. So what are you setting your mind on, really? Do the things of the Spirit have a place in your brain? I'm challenging young people on this. Is there time on your schedule where you just put down, I'm going to deepen my spiritual walk? Or do I just, is it just I'm relying on church attendance to carry the full responsibility of my spiritual mindset? And when you're here, are you really engaged? Are you really engaged? Or are you secretly strolling through Facebook right now? I see four right now on my mind, right here. I see four of you. I see four of you. I see four of you. No, I don't care. It doesn't make me a bit of difference. But don't go complaining about a spiritual shallowness when you've got the access right here and you're choosing not to use it. It makes no sense to me. But how are we ever going to train ourselves to be spiritually minded when here's an opportunity right here and we bail? We bail, and we'll talk about the second reason here in a minute about why we do that. I hear this all the time. It's a sin. I, I heard this at Caruso, where, and Devin Swindle says this all the time, and I cringe when he says it's a sin for a preacher to make the most exciting story ever told boring. He's, he hates boring sermons, and I get it, but I, I also tell him, if you aren't energized by the spiritual truth of the gospel, no sermon's going to thrill you. If that gospel story hasn't grabbed hold of your heart and just thrilled your soul, and when somebody starts laying out kind of what, what happens and, and the great uh, the power of that gospel, and you're sitting here, uh, listen, there ain't no sermon in the world going to pull you out of your lethargy. If you're waiting on a, a, a preacher to have some wording that can pull you out of that, the responsibility is yours to set your mind on those things. Now, you can still, you can be thrilled by the gospel and still have a boring sermon. I get it. Don't say amen. I don't want to hear any of that, right? But that segues into a second um, thing we'll talk about just shortly. And I, I think it's closely related. It actually is the same thing. But I thought of this during that Caruso week when the first night they get up there and they introduce themselves. They got three minutes to introduce themselves. And there was a theme that kept forming, and it was all in confidence. So I guess saying this to you is breaking confidence a little bit. But I'm not saying any names, so I feel better about that. But every, 40 of these high school students, and they got up there, and I, I saw this start to, this just started happening over and over. Uh, one guy said, oh, I'm here because, you know, I just want to, uh, 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 my friend's here or whatever. And, and by the way, uh, just, just know, I've got ADHD like crazy, and so I can't really pay any attention. And so I'm not really responsible for anything I do. <laughs> and he sits down, gives a high five to the next guy, and he says exactly the same thing. Every one of these high school boys has ADD. Is that a diagnosis that's just universal? Is there nobody with any kind of mental control in our culture at all? Does anybody have the ability to sit down and think anything? Or are we all ADHD in our culture? Do we need to just medicate everybody to get them to say, stay still and be calm? I'm, I'm sitting there listening to all this over and over, and after 10 or 15 or 16 or 17 of them say this, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. They're all saying to me, I don't have the ability to really stay calm and think about anything for very long. There's a Greek word for this. It's called... 
It's the same thing at church camp, and I run across it every year because I'm an old church camp director person, so I'm boring, and so I plan every moment. But the big thing, the Bible class, at the end of Bible class, there's a sheet, very few questions on it. Eight minutes, they have to sit alone. Nobody can be within 10 feet of them. And they have quiet time where they meditate on the scripture reading and two or three questions for them to think about. And they all hate it. And I hear adults say, well, you can't really expect teenagers to sit still and meditate. Well, when can we expect anybody to do that? When is it going to, is it going to suddenly happen when you're 25? Oh, you got meditatability. Is that what happens? Can I tell you I'm almost 50? And I still have to make myself. I just have to make myself. Now, I happen to like it, but I have to make myself settle my mind and think about this. So when, when do we train our young people that they can think? They can meditate on the words of God to deepen their Christian life. Here, here's the word I want to use for this. Um, we're just too fragile in our culture. We're just too fragile. I can't handle sitting silently. I can't think for very long. I can't do prayer. I can't handle meditation. It's just not in my constitution. My attention span is 4.8 minutes. I was born that way. And my culture made me that way. And if you don't have my mind fully engaged with some, some amazing stuff and amazing illustrations, amazing this, well, I'm going to check out and I'm going to go to my phone and I'm going to scroll through and I'm going to entertain my mind that way. Or if I get distracted or I get bored for even three minutes, if I get bored, I will check out on you and I will medicate myself with some video game or uh, uh, do something else to entertain me. Don't expect me to sit before God if God isn't going to move me pretty fast. Where is the strength of the inner person? When do we ever expect anyone to be able to, to study something? We Come to Bible class and we'll do the Bible class for you. No, 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 no. You need to be able to open up Scripture and learn and discern and grapple with a passage and not just be told the answer. Don't call the preacher. Struggle through it. Struggle through it. We're not so fragile that we can't learn this stuff. I think part of our problem in our culture is afraid of germs. We're afraid of germs, and so we keep everybody clean all the time. I really think we need a good old-fashioned day of playing in the dirt. Anybody ever feel this way? You ever play in the dirt? Anybody drink water out of the hose? Anybody do that? And you're still living. That's amazing. We're so septic. We're so clean. We want these germs. And so, so, so here's what they did, these studies that show this. People allergic to peanuts and people who, who when their kids are born, they just, oh, we're just not going to let you have any peanuts. No exposure to peanuts. And they found out that if you will expose them, they had two, two groups, one group that would let their kids eat peanuts and the other groups that wouldn't. So the ones that did, 3% of them still developed an allergy that they were able to work through. 17% of the people who ran away afraid of peanuts as soon as they, their kids were born, they developed an allergy. Sometimes what you need to do is expose yourself to some stuff and challenge your brain. The whole COVID thing, when you get a shot, any vaccine, right, it's a little bit 
of the enemy. It's a little bit of the enemy that's going in you so that your body can recognize it and fight it on its own and learn to fight it. When it sees it in real life, it can attack it. And I think sometimes we're so, so, so protective. And I know people that will say, you know, well, my kids don't like sitting in church. No kid ever liked sitting in church. This is not new. You have to make them and get them used to sitting in church. No one that I've ever met really, there might be a few of them, that just as soon as they were born, they were sitting up in the pew just singing along. I don't know anybody like that. If you're one of those freaks of nature, I'd love to meet you tonight. But most of us were taught how to behave at church. And yeah, your kids, okay, and and, and so you may have grandkids, you're going to start bringing them when they're four or five. I'm going to tell you right now, it ain't going to be fun for you for a while. And that's a whole bus ministry, right? You brought in a bunch of young people that didn't know how to behave in church, and you had to have all these adults that trained them. I get it. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? Just wait till they're 15, and then they'll want to sit in church? I got news for you. A 15-year-old doesn't sit in church very well either. Amen, right? None of us sit through this. We're not, none of us are this great. So, so listen, we got 3.8 minute uh, um, uh, attention span right now. And if we keep acting fragile and we keep giving into it and we don't challenge anybody to fight through this and start maturing your brain, pretty soon that attention span is going to be 2.6 and 1.4. And then finally we'll just say, uh, just dispense with it altogether. We're just too fragile. We're capable of some amazing things, and God makes us capable, and sometimes we've got to do this. We don't, don't need to coddle kids all the time. They, they, they need to have these learning experiences where they can actually grapple with Scripture themselves. Make them engage. Don't be indifferent. Don't let them be inactive. Expect a lot from them. We're all victims of short attention spans, every one of us. To sit for 10 minutes and reflect is too much for a lot of us. Because you will think at least 20 or 30 times of jumping on your phone or playing games or scrolling Facebook or calling a friend. And so we're pretty fragile in our inner person. But the only way to change that is called self-discipline where you make yourself grapple. Start with a five-minute prayer. And that doesn't sound very long, but when you do it for the first time, five minutes feels like forever. Then go to six and then go to seven. And the next time we're together, we're going to talk about how you should teach prayer because we're not teaching it right. You find yourself making excuses for why you're not going to engage in opportunities that are offered for your spiritual growth. Is it easier and easier to avoid spiritual exercises that the church offers with you in mind? You're like, I'd rather do something else. You know those things that will feed your spiritual life, but you're intimidated because they're going to challenge your inner person to hear for a little longer, to grapple with some thoughts a little more. It's going to be hard. It's hard work. The fear I have is if we don't learn to develop spiritual maturity in our lives, in our minds, the next generation is not even going to know how, much less be equipped to do it. In a short time, we could easily just attention span ourselves out of our entire faith the christian life and the things that it takes to deepen it and sharpen it are not fun things 
Prayer is some of the hardest work you will ever do. Even a child can do it, but listen, to get good at it and to get to where it's a central part of your life and you start talking to God about more things than just the typical things you hear in a public prayer, to start talking to Him about everything that happens in your life, every thought that you have, and wanting to be holy, and wanting how to apply Scripture and recognize where you need to be applying it in your life. Those conversations, the the conversation, the relationship, that's a different kind of prayer and it's not easy, it's not fun. And grace, as wonderful as it is, can't be used as an excuse for us not to. Anyone who tries to tell you the Christian life is easy and doesn't require a lot of self-discipline and self-denial hasn't studied Jesus at all. Do you know what he said to people when they said, hey, we'll come follow you? Uh, Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Let me give you Paul when God signed him on. What did Paul think? I'm going to join this thing. It's on the road to Damascus in the days following that. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, um, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Woo, sign me up! Right? Sign me up! I can't wait for that! Can I tell you, when you become a Christian... It's going to force you to practice disciplines that stretch your inner person. And it's the only way you'll ever get mature in the Christian life and be able to handle the future that's ahead of you. And it's going to require prayer to survive. It's going to require these disciplines to deepen you enough to be able to sustain you through the life that you're living in a world that doesn't appreciate the faith. It is for us to follow Jesus. Can I... Can I remind you of where it led Jesus to? Prayers early in the morning, prayers all night on the mountainside, fasting a lot. He had to do all that to keep the Spirit strong in his life so that he could fulfill the mission of being the Messiah. And for those who follow Jesus, we do the exact same things. And they aren't easy, they aren't quick, they aren't tidy, and you will always actually rather do something else. But you set your mind on it, you discipline your life by it, and then those benefits of taking time to be holy, that calm soul, even when your life is in a wreck, that stuff can happen. But you've got to do that discipline part. And that's hard for fragile people, and we're so fragile in our inner selves. So if we got one more on the cause of apathy, and then you're going to say, okay, I see it, I see it. Yeah, we're going to talk about what do you do about it, though. How can we overcome this apathy? It's coming. But I want you to recognize in your life those causes for you. These causes, where do they meet your life? And where do you say, yep, that's me, that's me. And I think some of us is this. That discipline that's required challenges that fragile inner person that we often are. We are so lazy and want to be entertained all the time. And the work it takes to have the depth of spiritual devotion to walk with God through a world that's throwing out so much junk, it's going to take something from us. Are we going to give it? This evening, if there's any need that you have spiritually, make it known as we stand and as we sing.